0: Thank you all for coming this morning. Jesus, we need you. Let me ask you a question real quick. If you have kids and you're new here, welcome. You're welcome to send them back to the, to the room back there. If you want to keep them with you, you can do that too. Uh, there's no pressure. Um, if you rededicated your life or got saved this morning, please stand up. If you're not, if you haven't, then two, three, two. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You guys get plugged in. Keep coming. We'll get you trained up in the ways of the Lord. Uh, we believe that every prayer for healing this morning that was prayed will be finished. The Bible says you will recover. Amen. So I'm excited this morning. Uh, I want to introduce a, a, a good friend and family here that we've uh, we met. Um, in November actually we uh, brother David Hogan those of you know him uh, he's a good friend of mine he's also I guess I found out a good friend of Jonathan's and Gina's and prophets so um thanks bro There's another one up here for you cold um so we we went down to his house for Thanksgiving we got invited to, to do uh, Thanksgiving with brother David and I guess he invited three families only two showed up it was ours and uh the Gibsons here and so because we were the only non-missionaries in the group and it was a very tight circle, we got to spend a lot of time together and we were the oddballs out. So we kind of found a little bit of a community there going on and we talked for a long time. And, uh, you know, as we began to talk, it was kind of um, apparent to both of us that there was very little we disagreed on, which is very rare, especially with somebody like me. So um, we found a kindred spirit, a tribe here that were, were cut from the same cloth, and so we we're excited. We offered them an opportunity to come spend some time with us. They took that opportunity, and they've been with us for the last week, and, uh, and asked them if you'd feel free to share um, as a son of the Lord in the house what was on his heart, and he said yes. So stand up. I'm going to introduce you guys. This is Jonathan and Gina and their son, Prophet. So.
1: How's everybody doing? Better now, huh? We're a family of prophets, so if you're not okay, I'll tell you. It's, um, it's funny and it's true. Those are my favorite jokes. Uh, before I get too much further, let's just uh, let's do something real quick. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to, uh, to ask Jesus for a picture. God, draw a picture in my mind. Show me something. Show me something I didn't know just 10 seconds ago. Make it clear. Now, God, since He's given you that picture, I want you to uh, ask Him when and how you're supposed to handle that picture. And when you get your answer, just wave at me real big. You don't have to tell me what the answer is, I will not call you out yet. But if you get an answer from the Lord, I see two hands. Is there anybody else to see three? Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Four. Yeah. We've got five, six, seven, eight. Anybody else? Nine. Ten. If we get 11. Oh, there's 11. I feel like an auctioneer up here. Is there a 12th? We make eye contact, and I say, 12, you can put your hand down. There's one more. I just need one more. There's 12. I see you. Well, my job is done here. You guys have a good Sunday. (laughs) You're not getting off that easy. So my name is Jonathan. Uh, As Pastor Chad mentioned, my wife, Gina, and my son, Prophet. We are doing something a little different. Uh, We started out in Kentucky. Uh, because my wife was, can I just go there? Okay, I always get permission. Husbands always get permission. My wife was a a demon-possessed drug dealer that I dreamed about when I was 14, and I met her when I was 25. That'll bake your noodle if uh, you're living your life and you meet the woman who you dreamed about when you were 14 and you saw full of the Holy Ghost and power, and you meet her, and she's a demon-possessed drug dealer. You know, the scripture says God sits on his throne and laughs. And uh, I think this is one of those times. Is everybody okay? God, I, I break the spirit that says we can only encounter you through tears. And I release the spirit that says we can encounter you through joy. In Jesus' name. You know, God made all of your emotions. He made them all. He didn't make some of your emotions. He made all of your emotions your emotions are terrible masters, but they make excellent servants. I'm going to say that again. Your emotions are terrible masters. When they tell you what to do, you're probably falling. But when you tell them what to do, you're probably succeeding. Say amen. amen. Now, because my family is a family of prophets, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a hodgepodge. But in order to for you to understand and appreciate uh, what has happened up to this point, so you can receive from us. I'm going to tell you a few testimonies. What we have learned on, on the road is that when people don't know who you are, if you give them testimonies, they will instantly be able and ready to receive from you. So, when people in the room, many of you are experiencing a lack of favor in your life, I'm giving you a key, and this is for the note takers, this is one of the ones you're going to want to write down. When you Become a person that feasts on your own testimonies and the testimonies of others, favor will soar in your life. When you begin feasting on your own testimonies, invite someone to the table to feast on your testimony with you. And as you feast on your testimony and you learn of their testimony, then there's something that happens in the supernatural. There's like a a swapping of grace, if you will. and, And what God did for me, you now have a grid that he could do for you. And what I didn't know God could do for me, I do now because you were willing to share your testimony. And so if that's in your job, if that's in your family... If that's in your family that isn't saved and you avoid because, well, they're not saved and they're hard to deal with, I can tell you if you become a person that feasts on testimony in front of, what does God do? He prepares a table for you. Where? What, what kind of people is he preparing that table for? Enemies. Let's say that together. Enemies. Yay, enemies. He's doing that because God isn't interested in leaving your enemies the same. He puts your life on display, and he, he doesn't prepare a table for you in the presence of your family. Unless they're your enemies. <laughs> and then you just get to stay at home. He prepares this table for you in the presence of your enemies because he's not interested in leaving your enemies the same. We've learned something on the road as well, and, and I'm, I'm going to preface a little bit of who we are, but I just need to preface the preface. The Lord is interested in me leaving something behind for you so that you have something that will cause you to be more of who God has died for than before we came. But in order for me to make that deposit, I want to give these testimonies so that as you hear the testimonies, you know that what I'm communicating is legitimate and true. But not only legitimate and true, but you will feel a witness in your body that what I'm saying is true. And as that begins to happen, that means that your receiver is on to receive from the Lord. If you meet a person and they begin to testify of the things that God has done and your first reaction is suspicion, then you're actually partnering with the enemy. You're putting me into a category, into a box. When your ears say, I need to, to see power before I can receive, then you're actually not operating in faith. You're operating off of my gift, which is okay if you're immature. I just have a sense that the people here, by and large, are probably not as immature as many places in the United States. And so I need you to take some risk with me and by faith say, I am willing to receive from what's about to be communicated. And if if that's you in the room and you're willing to take that risk with me because I'm going to be ultra vulnerable, just wave your hand at me and say, I'm willing to receive. Okay. That's most of you. For the few that aren't, that's okay. We'll get you in a minute. And we'll use the gift to get your faith stirred up. And that's okay. But I want to start because I don't want to use my gift to build trust in me. Because if I use my gift to build trust in me, you will look to my gift and I could be a filthy, rotten person. This happens all the time in church. People look at the gift. They celebrate the gift. The gift makes room for people. And then they fall miserably. I would rather us have this almost conversation, one-sided for now, where you get to see a part of who we are so that when I begin to say what God is saying, you're already in receiving mode and I'm not having to toot a shiny you know, horn to get you to realize, oh, God is doing something radical. You can stay in the same place that you were just a few minutes ago in worship because in this moment, your life is being recorded. As a matter of fact, all of your moments, all of your days are being recorded. And so as I start to communicate some of this stuff Everything that 's going on inside of you is actually being penned in heaven that 's horrifying <laughs> it 's father 's day, and I want to eat God and God's like, um, "I have one to eat <laughs> it's crazy how that works, but that 's actually what 's going on forever. So God has actually put the pen in your hand and it 's just being recorded in heaven. So the way that we engage in this moment is actually being written as a testimony of your life forever. And that is equally horrifying. <laughs> just making sure we are human in here, right? We got any perfect people? Okay, it's horrifying. And so uh, a few years ago, you know, my wife, I, I can't cover a whole story. Uh, I could, you just wouldn't want to sit here through it. And. Uh, so, my wife is this demon possessed drug dealer. I cast demons out of her. I am burnout on God. Has anybody ever been burned out on God? What about burnout on ministry? What about burnout with people? Are you burnout right now? Oh, i got a few hands. okay. Uh, I, tri- I just tricked you into just getting that out there see we 're being honest we 're having a conversation you 're just using sign language, and that 's okay. The good thing is, all of you are looking at me, so very few people saw you but listen. Um, I, I just want to communicate that after God set my wife free radically, she got filled with the Holy Spirit and she became this unusual on fire street evangelist. Stand up real quick and turn around and wave. I just I need you to see you see a woman coming at you with a, a, a smile as bright as a sun, and and you don't know what she's gonna to say to you, but because she's smiling, you just do this back. <laughs> the problem is that's an invitation for her to wreck your world. Have a seat, babe. And so she comes in and she starts preaching the gospel on the streets. Well, at the time, I'd only learned how to be a powerful Christian in the four walls of the church. But what I learned is that if I couldn't practice it outside the four walls of the church, it didn't mean a hill of beans in the church. And so what I learned is that I needed to practice this living faith on the outside of the church to see what I really believed it was a wonderful test to see what I actually believe. So we started ministering together. And, and truly, God used my need to compete with my wife to show her how superior I was as a man. To show me how not so superior I was. And, and I went onto the street with her and we started preaching the gospel to Witches. We started preaching the gospel to people that embrace homosexual lifestyle. We started preaching the gospel to Reiki masters. We started preaching the gospel to new age believers. We started preaching the gospel to Baptists that thought we were crazy. And all of them in the midst of their unbelief had an encounter with Jesus. And it was just a matter of saying, what is it that I think I believe? And do I really want to give an account to God for saying that I believe something that I'm unwilling to practice? I can tell you what you believe if you let me spend a week with you and I see how you practice your life. Because then all of the words are just that, they're just words. But when I see a life lived, I can show you by holding up a mirror and saying, this is actually what you believe. This is what you say you believe. And many people in the church today delude themselves because we actually say that we believe more than we're willing to live out. I've got a few people that like me so far. Um, I'm going to work on you. Just give me a few minutes. I appreciate that. I receive your love. I receive it. So God sent us out. We started ministering to people, and nobody liked what we had to say, but miracles happened. So they didn't hate it as much as they did before the miracle happened. Remember, the gift will make room for you. And so people uh, started following us through the city like stalkers when they would see us pray for people. And those stalkers became the people that we were discipling. (laughs) It was awesome. And we started talking to our people. and, And as we would disciple them, they would tell us they don't believe what we are saying but they loved what we would do. And over a period of time, we started making family with people who previously despised us. We had most every denomination you could think of, and there are many, coming to our church. And nobody, like me, Gina, Prophet, and my niece were the only Holy Spirit-filled believers in the entire church. It was really an uncomfortable time because, again, you have to practice what you think you believe in front of people who are naysaying you, and you have to love them as if they aren't. Sometimes I just want to throw a brick at the people that are naysaying me, right? And instead of doing that, I bless them. And so that grew until God sent us to Florida. And I thought, man, God gave me a prophetic dream. We're going to go to Florida. The next great awakening is going to happen. Do we have any people that have like, you know, the grandiose words where God says you're going to do something big? And it's like, and you sense it and you know it's true, but you don't see the fruit. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. You got big words? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Anybody else? Is there a 12th? I just, ah, 12. See, that's 12 again. Oh, we're going 13. Now we're getting big. We're taking taking leaps here. So we got 13 big overarching life words that people are proud enough of what God has said to put their hand up by faith in the room. Now, what would happen if you guys started walking out those 13 big words as if it's already in motion? Because you know, the determining factor of you walking out that word and God doing the word is you walking out that word. If you want to see God do the big word, you just have to start taking steps toward the big word. It's not your responsibility to be the big word. It's your responsibility to be obedient to the big word. And if you keep waiting for things to line up, the big word will never happen. You'll blame God and get bitter. Okay. So we go to Florida. Guess what, guys? The next great awakening did not happen. So I got really bummed and I got really bitter it sounds familiar right I just talked about that and I found myself for a year upset at God I I was mad I God you said that when I came if I did and and I I got depressed depressed prophets are the worst and the only way to get them out of their cave is to make them pancakes you can read about it but (laughs) in the Gibson standard version but that's not an actual bible don't go look it up um but I was depressed, and I thought, God, what are you going to do? And I, and I need a miracle. Just give me. You ever, you're ever? you probably way holier than I am. I'm bargaining with God. God, give me a miracle to show me your hand is still in my life. Give me, give me one miracle. I don't even need it to be about me. It could be about somebody else. So God met me in my unbelief. It is crazy how much he's willing to do, even though he already did it all. And so we were living in this Florida town. I was depressed. But we ate good, because that's what you do when you're depressed. You eat extra good. And so we're going to this fruit stand, because, you know, now I'm a fruit snob, because I live in Florida, and it's available. And we go, and we get this organic stuff at this Greek uh, fruit stand, and this lady's name is Rita. And she won't let you say Rita, because she's Greek. You have to say Rita. And so Rita is there at the fruit stand and she comes up and she says, you know, Jonathan, you never tell me why your son's name is Prophet. Well, I was so hungry for a miracle at this point, I tell her this to her face, just remember you asked. I'm excited to see God do anything. You know, you get desperate like a vampire like <gasps> like you just need blood somewhere, there's blood. And and so I go up to Rita and I, I'm like, "Well, the truth is, we couldn't have children. When I met my wife, she was a demon-possessed drug dealer, and she couldn't have kids, but I dreamed when I was 14 that we had a son, and I met her when I was 25, and she was a Baptist, but not a good one because she was a demon-possessed drug. I'm fire-hosing this lady in such an unnatural way, and she's just eating, so I'm like, I'm gonna keep at this speed. And I said, so then her family thought I was crazy, and I evangelized her family because she was able to get pregnant. God did all these radical things, and we started ministering on the street, and then God sent us here, and now I'm depressed. I didn't have a good ending. (laughs) And she walks around the counter, and she says, "Uh, uh, Jonathan, you put your hand right here. And I look over at Mama. Uh, I'm like, is this okay? And she's like, she's old. It's fine. (laughs) And so... I put my hand on her stomach and when I put my hand on her stomach, I start to pray and I'm like, what am I praying for? And she said, well, that's the thing. We don't know. The doctors can't figure it out, but I've lost, I don't know, 70 pounds in three weeks and my family, she didn't tell us any of this at the time, but I'll tell you in a second. Uh, and so I pray for her and, and the Lord says, Jonathan, I'm going to Hill Rita. And I'm like, oh, this is the miracle I've been praying for. It's going to pull me out of my depression because my Christianity is all about me. So I pray for Rita, and and God says, hey, before you you tell her that she's about to be healed, I need you to tell her that she's going to be healed in 30 days. Now, I have not been living a life that saw 30-day waiting periods, like a hold on your miracle. Like if somehow heaven was incapable of giving you a miracle except for 30 days from now, it's like you had to put in the request, and it had to get approved, and, and then it comes back in the mail, and it says you filled out your paperwork wrong, and now 30 days have went by, and she gets healed. And so, you know, I tell her this and she gets depressed. I'm sharing my gift with her of depression. And that's funny because when you are depressed, you'll find people who agree with you. And if you want to get out of your depression, you have to find people who don't agree with you. And so I share my depression with her and she goes, thank you, Jonathan. And she walked away behind her counter. She's dying. And I did what any fiery Bible-believing No, wait, I wasn't any of those things. I did what any other person would do. And I went home and I chickened out from going back to the the fruit stand for at least six weeks. I needed the 30-day window to pass so that if I went back, A, either she's dead and I don't have to worry about this poor confrontation. It'll just add to my depression. Or she's totally healed and God's gonna pull me out of my own pit that I've dug for myself. Does this resonate with anybody? Like, I mean, sometimes it just we just need to put it out there. Like, you know, we are just we need each other. And we need to do this as a family, or it's not gonna work. And I'm sorry, this is not my message yet, and it's slowly turning into it. So we'll figure out. I'm prophetic, I just blame my gifts sometimes. And and so we come back, and this lady comes running out. We get to the fruit stand, she's alive, and she runs out to our car because she made note of the vehicle we drove and she runs out she opens the passenger door pulls Gina my wife out of the car picks her up off the ground and is flopping her like a rag doll like i want to love her and stroke her and you know and so her her little toes are you know dragging the ground and and she's like i'm healed i'm healed and i just burst into tears and i'm like god you know, you healed this woman and the doctors don't even know what's wrong with her, but she was sentenced to die. And she goes, Jonathan, that's not the best part. And I said, what do you, that's gotta be the best part. Like you're not going to die and I'm not depressed. What is better than that? Jesus. See, I didn't tell you my entire immediate family had the same disease and we all had a death sentence. But when I went and gave them the prophetic word of the Lord that we would all be healed in 30 days, they all got healed too. So I was like. And then I went home and continued my depression. That's a story for another day. So the Lord came right in the middle of that hardship and he did something radical Because he's good, and he didn't want me to bring healing in that moment, or him to release healing in that moment, because why? He needed the testimony to be feasted on with other people who were suffering the same. Message. So a prophet comes along, reads our mail, tells us exactly what's going on in our Life. How many men of God I've served? How many were corrupt? How many were righteous? Uh, that that he was a, a a miracle baby. That she was a demon possessed drug dealer that was filled with the Holy Spirit. That it grew into. I mean, he knew everything we had ever done, more than you could possibly post on social media. And then he said, in thirty days, you're going to get an offer to go across the state of Florida, and that happened. And then he said, and then you're going to go. And God says, if you if you deal with the situation well, then God is going to trust you to bring worldwide reform to the global body of Christ. I wanted to say that first to to now rewind. I have a fourth grade education. I don't even know what that means at this point. Worldwide reform to a global bride and I have a fourth grade education. And I'm like, God, what what are you thinking? This is, This is a big deal word. Well, this was the word. You're going to go to the other side of Florida and they're going to reject you. They're going to despise you. And if you treat them right in the middle of your rejection of being despised, then I can trust you. He would later teach me that, and and this is one of the things you're going to want to write down, make mental note of, God will never trust you to change what you don't first love. Track with me again. God will never trust you to change what you don't first love. When you want the church to change and you want the world to change and you meet it with criticism, do you know that it is a, it is a fact that people around the world, I have a friend that did some research and then Gina did some research and, and all of the information came to this conclusion. When people live in criticism, they are the most poverty stricken people on the planet. I don't even know how that's tied together. And yet, there's evidence to suggest that when people live in criticism, they're stricken with poverty. And so you have to change your mind in order to see a wealth increase, to see an opportunity increase. You have to start proclaiming what yet isn't. It's not saying, well, Jonathan, you're living in the clouds. No, I'm calling things that are not as though they were. And so I refuse to partner with accusation. You know, when, when I talked about uh, uh, categorizing me recently, just, what, just a few minutes ago, that word categorize is interchangeable with the word accuse. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We could also say that he is the guy that puts you in a box and doesn't let you out. Yes. And every time we categorize someone to think that we know how they are, we create a static image of that person. We put it in a box and we never let them out to break free of that mold, even though maybe two weeks later they're different. Which is strange because if I asked you an opinion of somebody that hurt you two years ago, you would recount to me exactly how they are today based on what happened two years ago. Do you know that is another form of idolatry? It's making a graven image of a person and putting it on your shelf. And every time you think of them, you see the idol you created of them. If there was ever a God in all of creation that deserved to have a statue made of him, it'd probably be our God. And yet, the only thing ever made in his image was you. And you're always changing. Okay. That was just a little... Loving, we got we we got better in us than this. Now we're going to move on. Um, so we go to Florida. We get this prophetic word comes to pass. I get rejected like it's my professional job. Uh, what do you do for a living? I get rejected. I go places and say things and people hate me for it. And then I just wash, rinse, and repeat. And I'm pretty successful because uh, everybody hates me. And, you know, I, I lived that way for a while. And And I thought, you know, God, this is... Got to end at some point. It finally did. Praise the Lord. And I stewarded people well. And I end up getting, in 30 days, my family and I get 47 prophetic words from strangers. All the way from Redding, California, over to Life Center Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, We were at The Send uh, in 2019. and, And the supernatural rain, if you guys didn't look this up on the internet, you should. But I was there. And while that was happening... The, the crowd, because it was boiling hot, and it's Florida, and it hadn't rained all day, they start singing, Let It Rain. It's like a practical worship song, right? <laughs> it's like, I really just want this to take place. And so people started singing this song, and without any clouds forming in the sky, it began to rain on everyone. They counted, and I'm going to botch this number, so don't hold me accountable to the number, but I think it was around a 1,000 people who had their scars wash off in the rain. Like, physically, like, liquefy Turn into fluid and just baby skin underneath. And as this is happening, I'm having a moment with Jesus. You probably would be too, yeah? And the last thing you want in the world is somebody to start violently poking you on the shoulder, right? You're like, you're totally all about you right now. Please stop. I need to be all about me and Jesus. I need to be super selfish. And I turn around and I say, yes. And I think it's going to be a screaming college kid because that's what we had heard all day long. But instead, it's an elderly woman. And she says to me, at this point, we'd gotten all these prophetic words I was telling you about. At, the, at this exact point in time, I had 33 prophetic words out of the 47. And she looks at me and she said, you've gotten 33 prophetic words, haven't you? And I just started weeping. It's so bad and so intense that my wife thinks I'm about to get in a fight with an elderly woman. Is that a fact? Just put your hand up for the people that can't see your face. And I kind of like give her the look like, it's okay, please turn around. This is embarrassing. And, and she begins to give me all of the 33 prophetic words. She says, this is what they are. She says, God says, you're a David. You're a friend of the king. You're a lion. You and your family are going to bring reform to the global church. And it's going to be a hard road. But you've got to go to Abilene, Texas in order to do that. But you already know that. But this is where they missed it. And I'm like, and I interrupted. I said, ma'am, this is incredible. Like, <laughs> you're telling me what, what 33 other people have said to me. And now you're telling me that they missed, which is just hard for my brain to compute. I said, you know, ma'am, Chris Valentin. you may or may not know that name. He's one of the guys that gave me the word. She's like, I don't care who he is. He's wrong. And this is the rest of the word. And so she gives me the rest of the word. And after she gives me the rest of the word, I cry a lot. And then we're driving up to PA and the words just continued. So we think, you know, by the time we hit 47, it's time to move. We were willing to move at part one. We were willing to move at part two. We were willing to move at part three, so on and so forth. And that continued until we got to 47, and we thought, okay, we've really got to do this. So I lay down planting a school of supernatural ministry and serving at a local church, and then we move to Abilene, Texas. The rest of the word was, John, you're going for four years to suffer in Abilene, Texas. Mm. Be, it, be it unto me, Lord. I need... I need, we'll pray for you in just, just in a minute. Okay. I'm going to share and then I'll pray for you. And so I end up getting there and it's weird because prophetic words come true. So I got to suffer for four years. And the word said that by the time I turned 40, God would do a supernatural thing and he would end up taking my family around the world. We would bring change to the global church and, and there would be favor, like crazy favor. Well, I get to... All the words said by the time I'm 40, so that would be the fourth year. So I turned 40 last August. I had a prophetic friend call me and say, Jonathan, I really feel like you and your wife are supposed to start filming content. This was about two years ago in the process of all this going down. And I said, for what? And he said, well, the revelation you guys carry, would be like robbing the church if you don't release it to the rest of the world. And I thought, I don't really want to be on a camera to talk to anybody. I'd never done that before. And so... I filmed for eight hours to film a five minute video and I filmed zero minutes. It was horrible. And you know how you like look in the mirror and hate everything about yourself? You're doing that, but you're putting it on the internet for everybody else to hate everything about yourself. And so I told my wife, I'm like, I don't think that was an accurate prophetic word. She said, well, maybe I'm supposed to sit behind the camera and have you talk to it. Well, she did. It took me five minutes to film five minutes. And I thought, I think you're supposed to be on the camera with me. She said, that's not the will of God. That is, I can be your support system, but I nope, I, who, who's gonna be my support system? I'm like, I will, come on and sit on the camera. So we filmed and I thought maybe 50 people would watch our videos. We ended up reaching 7.3 million people in uh, a period of 18 months. Now that number has went up since then, but that's just the last stat that I pulled. And then we got invitations to go to 10 different nations. And then suddenly people that I used to look up to are asking us to minister to them. And I'm not talking small ministries. I'm talking ministries that are large enough to make that 7.3 million number look really tiny. And God put us in a position, and and this this prophet comes along, his name is Dan McCollum, his friends call him Dano. And Dano says, Jonathan, where's your favor right now? And I said, Dano, I, I don't know, maybe it's bigger than it's ever been. And he goes, Jonathan, the Lord says your favor is only here you guys are going into the clouds and you're never coming down. We grew up poor. Fourth grade education. Got my first pair of shoes when I was five. And now God is taking these people who are professional dum-dums and putting them before people with two and three doctorates to teach them about the kingdom of God. I am here to tell you guys today that there is hope for you and your story is not over unless you're on the other side of the clouds. Now I'm going to start my message. Uh, <clears throat> my wife had a word um, that God said there are many people in here that, that feel, can I share this now? Is that all right? Uh, there are many people here in the room that, that have felt nameless and faceless. They feel unseen. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Leave it up long enough. Like you just have a hard time feeling accepted wherever you go. You feel like you're always the person in the background. I see two, three people, four people. There's four people that deal with that. Five people, six people. Nine. I saw you. You can put your hand down. Seven people. Who else? Eight. Anybody else? Nine. Don't let me not see your hand. That's only going to add to the problem. You're going to be like, he didn't see me. That's exactly why I put my hand up but he didn't see it. We got nine people that feel that way in the room. Anybody else? Make sure that you, I see you. Wave at me. Don't just leave your hand static because I might look right past it. Okay, we've got nine people. This is what the Lord says about you. He sees you and he is not done with you. Uh, there is a song that Jason Upton wrote. It says, there is a God who sees. There's a God who sees. There's a God who sees right where we are. His love is strong. It won't let go. He holds us in a sacred heart. And even when we're far from home, there's a God who sees right where we are. And, and so that is what God is saying to you. And now I'm going to start my message. <laughs> Sorry about that. But now you know who we are and what God is doing. And and I wanted to preface a little bit of this message because there's many times people come up and they say what they say and you're just ready to go on with your day. But you have an opportunity because your story is being recorded in heaven to take a hard right turn and head in a better direction. Say amen. All right. All right. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open to 1 Timothy 4 and I want you to put your finger in it and then shut your Bible. God released us, as you're turning, I'm going to keep sharing this testimony, so God released us to go and start a ministry that's called The Lion Company. You can find out about us on thelioncompany.org, and as you go and check that out, what's significant is that I didn't name the ministry. It actually started with me having a prophetic dream, and I didn't get to share all this with you guys, so this is going to be some of the first time you get to hear this. This is cool. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking, me more than them, and we still haven't covered it all yet. Um, So I have this prophetic dream that me and my family are moving into a neighborhood of influence. And in the neighborhood of influence, a man walks up to me and he says, Jonathan, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I didn't know you were here. It's a guy I know in real life. I said, I didn't know you lived in this neighborhood. Oh, yeah. What are you doing here? Well, I think we're moving into the neighborhood. This is all a dream. And he said, well, what could you possibly do for this neighborhood? And I said, well, I think we're here for a few things, but your first problem is that you have a rat problem. I know. (laughs) And immediately in the dream, all these maimed rats start limping, like 500 maimed rats start limping out of nowhere. Does anybody remember Go-Go Gadget? Okay, so I Go-Go Gadget out a silver rake. And I'm like, I don't know where that came from, but, you know, but it came and, and I was out without moving. I was able to gather all 500 rats into a pile. And he goes, wow, how did you do that? And I put it up. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, it just came out of me, I guess. And I told him, I said, don't get excited. He said, why? You've solved the problem. I said, no, no, no. If there are this many wounded in the daylight, how many are still hurting in the shadows? And then I woke up. I walked. I wake up. I walk out of my bedroom into my kitchen. We keep a clean house, okay? We're not we're not super like. Let's just have all the rats live with us. I walk into my kitchen, and my kitchen is covered in what looks like 500 rats' poop. Can I get an amen? Don't say amen to that. You guys are gross. You're not supposed to say amen to rat poop. And, and so I walk in and I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, Jonathan, I'm going to use the natural to reveal the supernatural. Pay attention. And I thought, this is weird. We have weird encounters, but this is like starting to push us. And so I do what every practical prophet would do. That's what I like to call myself, uh, more practical than prophet. But I go to Walmart and I spend $100 on glue traps because I don't want rats in my house. I can pay attention, God, and still catch these suckers and get them out of my house. And so I go and paint my kitchen, true story, in glue traps. We were due to take our first vacation in two years. And as I go to take this vacation, I have friends watch our dogs at home. And the next day they call me. We're on the beach. And he said, Jonathan, we caught the rat. I'm like, the rat? He goes, it was pretty big. I'm like, does it look like it could have pooped 500 rats worth of poop? And he was like, No, and I said, okay, then we're not done. Leave the glue traps down until we get home. He said, okay, the next day, the next day, the next day, no rats, none. We get home and there are no rats. We go to sleep, we wake up the next day, rats. We catch another one, covered in poop. The next day, we catch another one covered in poop. The next day, we catch another and another and another until eventually God bottlenecks us to step out of traditional ministry and go on this adventure called the Lion Company. When I stepped out, the rats went away on their own. I lead my last worship service at the church that I was serving in, in Abilene, Texas. And and if, who, who was playing guitar in here? If you're playing guitar on the worship team, raise your hand because I need a witness here. One, okay i know there's more than one okay two so you guys know that if you lead worship for three hours or so your back hurts because it's pulling down this way and so if it's an acoustic and you have to rest around the body it gets really painful true or false okay so and it's not like we need you know prayer for back pain we just need you guys to worship less and worship more at home and so can i get an amen no um i'll have two guys say yeah man amen um so I go home and I'm soaking my back in the bath and I get what I call a, a stumbling prophetic word. Uh, Chris Valentin might call it spiritual intelligence. Bill Vanderbush, another uh, known man, wonderful teacher, might call it quantum intelligence. He's a believer, but he is a really deep believer. I call it, because I'm from Kentucky and have a fourth grade education, a stumbling prophetic word. It's when you say something that comes out of your mouth before your mind even knows what you just said. Anybody ever had that happen? Okay. And it ends up being God, but you're like, why did I say that? And that's a stone. You tripped into a revelation. You're like, oh, I didn't see that there. And so I'm in the tub and and I say this out loud to my wife. I said, babe, this going on with the rats, it feels like it's of mice and men. And she was like, you read that book? I said, no, I have fourth grade education. Have you read the book? You're valedictorian. She was like, I haven't read the book either. And I was like, well, look it up. So she Googles it. And this is what the book says. In the name of love. A crippled little boy grabs a mouse from the field. And because he loves it so, he's unwilling to let it go. So he inadvertently squeezes the life out of the mouse. The mouse dies. And the word of the Lord comes to me in my bathtub and says, Jonathan, this is the state of my church today. In the name of love, a crippled system has held on to sons and daughters and kept them pinned to their seats rather than letting them go out to the wild for fear that they won't come back. And in doing so, they've choked the life out of the church. Will you help me change it? And I'm like, bah! just start crying and spilling water all over the floor. I, if that book is down there spiritual and holy, um, you're going to want to shake that off. Sorry about that, Chad. So I start weeping. And I'm like, yes, God, I'll do whatever you want. Like I am, I'm in whatever the cost is, God, I'm in. So I step out of my job to no income and we're ready to downsize everything. And then a guy knocks on my door and he says, Jonathan, I believe in what you guys are doing. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And he said, well, the Lord said, I'm actually supposed to pay your salary for the foreseeable future. And so I'm like, to work for you? He goes, no, to work for God. I'm like, well, what do I do? He's like, whatever he says. Do you really want to get what healthy theology sounds like? It sounds like the woman who raised Jesus. Mary is talking to the angel who delivers this wonderful news that she's going to give birth to Jesus. And her first response ends up being her same similar response at the wedding of Cana. She says to the angel, according to your word, be it unto me. She was ultimately saying, I'll do whatever you say I'm supposed to do. We get to the wedding of Cana and they want to turn water into wine. And she says the thing that she's lived her whole life. Do whatever he says to do. If there is any theology that you will ever trip into that says you should never do what God says to do, it is false doctrine. If it ever becomes about you, it is false doctrine. It's the obedience that builds intimacy because it's saying, I am trustworthy. Trust me with more. Say amen. Okay. I asked God for a message for you guys and prophets when they come in, like I, I don't, I'm not name heavy, but the church likes to create framework to understand what's actually being communicated. And so uh, if, if you're my friend, you know me personally, I don't really ever say like, Hey, I'm a prophet. Like I'm a prophet. You better back up. I'll <laughs> prophesy your death. You mess with me. No, I'm not that guy. <laughs> but I was asking the Lord for a word for the church. And, and there was nothing coming, nothing at all. I started having dreams, and I'll share what some of those dreams are because I think God wants to touch some people in the room. Uh, and, and the good thing about the way that we prophesy, we can prophesy by looking into people's past, but psychics can do that too. We can look into their present, and psychics can do that too. But the one thing that psychics fail to do is to be able to look into the future with context. I'm gonna say that again. The future with context why does context matter with the prophetic word can you imagine a planet where nobody had ever had a baby but there was just people everywhere and one day a woman wakes up and she's like man i don't know what's going on but i'm just sick to my stomach and my stomach is swelling and and i'm getting sick and my chest hurts and now i'm really sleepy and now i'm hungry and now i hate my husband and and i don't know what's going on but i have all these problems and i i need pickles and ice cream We would look at her with a sober mind and say, it's obvious you're dying. (laughs) Right? Right. Because without the context that a child is coming, all of the symptoms point to destruction. So there are many people in the room going through pain. And you feel like you're spiraling out of control and you can't take anymore. Your solution is not an absence of pain, it's context. When you understand why these symptoms are present, it gives context to what is going on. God isn't wanting to lead you out of pain. He's wanting to lead you through it because you look different on the other side of pain than you did before. Ask any woman who's had a kid. Don't, hey, don't stone me. (laughs) I felt the offense rise up as soon as I'm like, hmm, he's ducking behind here. You look different. When you go through that life-changing event, You are supposed to, by design, look different. The scripture says that the invisible qualities of God are revealed through what we can see. So what is God birthing in you in the middle of your pain? Because if you have context, now you have grace for it where you didn't before. All right. So I asked the Lord, God, give me a word. He wouldn't give me a word. And then God said, hey, I want you right now to open up your Bible app. And I said, okay, so I opened it. And it was open to a scripture that I wasn't reading when I opened it last time. And I start to read to my wife, like, hey, God wants me to share on this to the church and I don't know why, but he does. Because he knows it's going to help you. See, prophecy, the most helpful prophecy isn't telling you what you already know. And that, a lot of prophecy in the new covenant should look like just affirming what God has already told you. Like confirmation, those are the best words. But, but the most helpful words isn't telling you what you already know. It's telling you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Yes. Okay, so this isn't a correctional hard word, but I'm going to read directly from scripture. Because when I start reading to my wife, she goes, oh my gosh, I sent you a picture. I said, babe, we're, we're staying in a cabin in the woods. I don't have any signal. I didn't get a message from you, period. And She goes, well, stand at the corner of the porch, get your one bar of signal, and then look at, at the picture I sent you. And I look at the picture and it's the exact same scripture that God told me that you guys needed to hear. Like the exact same scripture. So I'm going to read this for you guys. But because you said you were willing to receive by faith, the, the question for all of you to ask as a, as a corporate body and then individually is, God, how do I walk this out? Right? So I'm going to read this to you. Is everybody okay so far? Okay. I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It's my current Bible of choice, but I read them all. It starts here by saying, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some, not all, some will fall away from the faith. They'll pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, Men who forbid marriage and advocate for abstaining from foods, which God created to be gratefully shared, and by those who believe and know the truth. I'm going to rewind here. In the end, it says that people will give heed to seducing spirits that tell you grace wasn't enough and you have to forbid things. That's what that just said. That is not my opinion. It said by abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. What is is the requirement to receive all things? Gratefulness. Gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So gratefully, thanksgiving, you have faith and you know what is true. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with what? Gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. I'm going to keep going. Now he starts to challenge them on what being a good minister looks like. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, not to the world, and pointing these things out to your brothers and sisters in Christ, not to the world, you will be a good servant, of Christ Jesus constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the of sound doctrine which you have been following so this is not a correction from God saying you're not doing the stuff this is how you keep doing the stuff right. but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women and in, in King James it says wives tales on the other hand Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. In some translations it says exercise. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Think about that. If I discipline my body, and there are many people in the room that are continually finding themselves in repetitive sin, You keep doing the same thing, and you're like, God, I'm sorry. Then you do the same thing, and you think that if you discipline your body, that somehow you'll get it right. So you don't communicate to other people your hidden sin because you think you've got it figured out. You just don't. It's not working so far. That's why you keep finding yourself back in the same pit, in the same ditch. You're trying to discipline your body, but this is the difference. In disciplining yourself for the sake of godliness, it says yes to Jesus. But disciplining your body is saying no to you. There are Christians who will only say no to themselves, but they won't say yes to Jesus. They'll say, I have a prophetic word, but I won't pursue it or walk it out because I'm too busy getting right to be able to walk out the word that God gave me. Saying no to yourself is an endless void that will never fill you. But saying yes to Jesus transforms you in the going. It would be the equivalent of a woman saying, I will never have children until everything is right and perfect. Is there a woman that's ever had children where everything was right and perfect? Okay, just making sure. I haven't found one yet, so I'm I'm just making sure. There is never a perfect time for children. And yet you become exactly who is needed in the doing. You become the parents that your children need in parenting. But with God, we say, no, 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 I'm too busy getting in shape so I can bear the weight of the call. And God is saying, I didn't need your strength. Actually, in your weakness, my strength is perfect. So if you would just say yes, Yes. if if, if we would really come to this conclusion today, above all things, God is contending for your yes. Yes. He's not contending for your ability to say no to yourself. Because the truth is, you're not good at multitasking. Scientists have actually discovered that multitasking is a myth in your brain. That's why you fail at it. You're either saying yes to one thing, and if you are, you're automatically saying no to another. But what's weird is when we flip it and we say no to our flesh, it doesn't mean we're automatically saying yes to God. But when we say yes to God, we're automatically saying no to our flesh. Does that make sense? All right. That was point one. okay. He follows the statement by saying that it is a trustworthy statement. This is in nine, uh, verse nine. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What was the trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance? It's that if you pursue godliness, if the discipline is for the sake of godliness, it's profitable for all things, both in this life and the life to come. And that is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, which means nobody gets to say, I don't know if I fully agree with that. That's strange in scripture where there are very few times in scripture where they're like confirming the word that they said immediately after they said it. Like they're leaving you no room to misinterpret what's being communicated in this point. For it is for this that we labor and we strive. Everybody say labor and strive. Say labor is a good thing. Say labor brings forth children. I'm sorry I messed that up. The rhythm went off. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Jonathan, what does that mean? It means God died for the whole world, but it's those who say yes that actually receive salvation. Again, God is contending for the yes of a man's heart. He says, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one, this is the part where my wife really piped up in her word for you guys. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. That can be interpreted two ways. It can mean physical age. So for the people that are young, that are super powerful, guess what? Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. That's not an acceptable response to youthfulness. But it can also mean a lack of experience because everybody in the church that were being called babes in Christ weren't babies. Babies. They were man babies. I like saying man baby. And and that means that they were lacking experience, right? So it could mean two things, but there's something about this house that there has been a chip on the shoulder of the people of this house. You've allowed other people to look down on your youthfulness or the lack of what you think you should be at at this point in your ministry or the lack of of what you believe you're supposed to be accomplishing in the city. You're allowing people to have more of an opinion about what you're doing in this house and in the city than you should. And the scripture here says, this is from God. This wasn't my thought on what I was going to teach you. I was going to teach you how to hear the Lord and activate you, but I guess we're going to be doing that tonight. Is that still true? Okay. And then he says here, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, your words, Your conduct, how you act. Love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. What are we doing right now? You literally have it in the Bible saying, pay attention to me reading the Bible. (laughs) It's really weird. It's like, echo, echo, echo. Just, where did we start? Where do we end? It's, It's a yes. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through what? Prophetic utterance. With the laying on of hands of the presbytery. That that act is when you know people hear God move in prophetic gifts and there is an agreement and leadership for people to come in and lay hands on you. You're not supposed to neglect the gift that was given. Some of you say, I don't know that I've received a gift yet. And you may be right. But then, how do we get it? Through the laying on of hands from prophetic utterances. So that means I have biblical precedent to prophesy to you gifts that you didn't have before, lay hands on you, and by right in scripture, you get to receive them and then walk them out. The problem is if you don't feel that transference of a gift, you won't act on it. Well, I didn't feel the tinglys. There wasn't a heat, there wasn't ice, it didn't get heavy. I didn't cry. I didn't fall on the ground. Your whole salvation didn't come that way. It came by faith. And that is the ultimate gift. Everything less than Jesus is less than Jesus. So why do we then say, I, I didn't get a gift? Well, you're right because you didn't believe for it. Like this is a two-way street. If I do my job and I prophesy over you and I say receive, and then you say I receive, but then you don't believe to walk it out, to put faith or feet on your faith, then you're gonna find yourself at a stalemate and you will falsely accuse people of being false. You have scripture here saying this is how this is supposed to work. Am I okay so far? Yes. Okay. This is crazy here. The next scripture in 15, it says, Take pains. Everybody say pains. Bains. Everybody say baby. baby. One more time. Baby. Okay. Take pains with these things, be absorbed. In them. You notice it didn't say absorb them. It says, let your whole life be absorbed into this thing. Right. So you're not looking to take in the gift, the call, the pursuit. You're supposed to be absorbed into it. Right. Be absorbed with the passion of loving and serving God and running a good race. Yeah. So that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do, this will ensure salvation both for yourself, this is wild, and for those who hear you. What's radical in this statement is that that means if you are willing to go and share you're actually setting this person up with a grace encounter to receive Jesus. Yes. Well, Jonathan, I preached and they didn't accept the Lord. That's not the promise. Right. The promise is contingent on your going and sharing. Say amen. 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 All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's some things that I saw and then we're gonna do some prayer. Is that okay? Yes. Wow. You... Yes. Bro, we gotta have a talk. Does anybody like to pray? All right. Okay. I think I just lost him for a minute. They're like, I'm just zoned out, bro. And that was recorded too. He was just zoned out. My first night, I had a dream of seeing unfaithfulness in marriages. Uh, God didn't give me a timeline, so don't feel called out. Uh, God isn't doing this to embarrass you. He's doing this to restore you. Whether it's in the past, whether it's in the present, or whether it's something just around the corner that you can feel your heart being drawn to, and you know who that is. I'm not going to call you out. I am saying right now that you have an opportunity to either abstain from a major fall, preserve your life, or heal wounds from things falling apart for previously. Just for a second, I want everybody to honor this word. Close your eyes, bow your heads. We're going we're gonna to protect dignity here, uh, not because God is, is not interested in our dignity, but I want to honor the house, and I want to make sure that we're not here doing damage. But if this is something that's been resonating with you know, me, me talking about unfaithfulness uh, in the past, the present, or, or desires for the future, if, if, and, and realize that Satan's temptation is not who you are. It's not your identity. You're not, your identity is not wrapped up in how you're tempted, But if this is something that's happened in the past that you need healing for, the present that's currently going on, or it's a temptation, I just want you to put your hands up really quick and put it right back down. I see you. 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 Dear Lord Jesus, who else? I see you. Anybody else? Okay, I see you. I see you too. Wow. So this was dream number one that God gave me. Everybody open your eyes and look at me. Um, I don't believe in embarrassing anybody. You put your hand up by faith and I want to pray for you. If you did not put your hand up, I want you to go to bat for the people in this congregation that need your support. My prayer is not more special than your prayer. My Holy Spirit's the same as your Holy Spirit. The reality is you're going to have to walk with these people through life. When I'm not here, They are going to need you. They're going to need you calling them out and checking on their heart and checking on their heart posture. They are going to need you. That's how family works. Our ministry is based on a family model. I may talk more about that tonight. But it's important that you understand that if there's that much going on with either past, present, or potential future temptation, to, to, to walk out on a spouse and to be with another or, or to break the vow that you've given to a spouse or that you've had a hard time forgiving because of the damage that they've done. God was very intentional to send us from, from New Braunfels, that's where we live now, Texas, to come to this church. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I lost count, maybe seven or eight families struggling with this very thing. It's important that we get this stuff dealt with because you can't walk into the fullness of your destiny with one leg. You're just hopping into your destiny, right? We need to restore broken legs so that you can be whole. So let's do this. If you believe that God wants to heal your marriage, we're going to have everybody stand up so that nobody's called out. Everybody stand up. And I'm going to pray this prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is a faith-filled prayer. So when we see healings happen in families and in in marriages and in bodies and we raise the dead, all of that is done because we are praying prayers of faith. I can tell you that this woman, my wife, she died. She was dead 45 minutes on my Bathroom floor, and I had to raise her from the dead. And I can tell you, when you know that your marriage is ended because of, of circumstances you can't control, you will pray like you've never prayed before to see God restore your marriage. Do you understand what I'm, I'm saying? So, if you want God to touch your family and you know that it needs to be touched, I want you to pray this out loud, believing in your heart that it's God's desire to heal your family say lord jesus i sub- i submit my will to you to your lordship i ask now jesus by faith in your son that you're coming in to restore my marriage that you're restoring my corrupt heart and you're helping me say no to my flesh because i'm saying yes to you I believe that in Jesus' name. Now, Satan, take your hands off my marriage. You have no authority. And I'm taking back what God provided. By faith, in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now, we have an opportunity to do this later but I just want to jump to this now because then I can teach you about it later. If you've wanted to grow in your gift of hearing the Lord and you know that you hear God, but it's not always accurate, or maybe you want to hear God and you've never heard God before, just put your hand up for me real quick. And I want you to keep it because I want to show you something. Put it up really high though, not like the average, like I kind of want to hear, like no, I really want to hear God. I really want to hear his voice and I'm not ashamed to say that I need to grow in that. Now I want you guys to look around and look at all the hands. Like take a minute and look at all the hands. You are not alone and it's a lie of the enemy to make you feel like you, you like I need more and I want more and I don't know who's interested in this stuff. Make note of who has their hands up. Like, hey, you said you wanted to hear God more and, and I, I heard this crazy guy with a beard on Sunday say that if, if we did this as a family, that we actually would hear God with more consistency than if we did it alone. You know, in the scripture, it actually says, and I'll teach this tonight. You can put down your hands. That if one of you prophesies in the new covenant, if one of you prophesies, two or three are supposed to judge the prophetic word. That's new covenant prophecy. How many people do you know that say that they are prophets today that prophesy with no accountability? Most of them will give a prophetic word. With no family around them to say, you were wrong on 10% and here's the rest of the story. Or you spoke that accurately, but you were a jerk when you said it. (laughs) Or you were so full of your own prophetic gift that you didn't even leave a window to think that you might be wrong. And then you start by doing, allowing people to do that and not holding them accountable. We become a part of the problem. So when we allow prophecy to go forth, it's important to have a prophetic family around you to say yes and or no, not at all. Because what it does is it actually starts to take away the weird of the prophetic world. And it adds consistency and predictability to say, I know this person, I know they hear God, and I know what they just heard might be strange, but the other 99% of their life is accurate and we will not judge them according to one missed word. This is a, like a deep value to the kingdom. You understand like the fivefold gifting is there to make one unified bride to perfect the saints, that Ephesians 4 believer. You guys just recently went through that. That Ephesians 4 believer is supposed to look just like Jesus, not like a prophet. So if you say, well, I'm a prophet. Well, that's great. You're incomplete by four. And that means you need the other four to help you become more like Jesus well, I'm a pastor and I don't know what it's like to be the other four. You could never catch me evangelizing anybody. Okay, then we got to work on your attitude because these five exist to make believers that look just like Jesus. We're all students in this thing. Nobody ever graduates past student. Like I promised my wife when I met her, I said, I have been guilty of knowing too much with an exclamation point rather than a question mark. Like we all think that we know and we just have it all figured out. But I'll tell you, you'll find out what you don't know when you do life and family. I know that's a value of this house. But finding a way to grow our prophetic gifting, there's a lot of people in here that want to grow in that gift. Finding a way to make that practical and a part of your everyday lives is highly important. Say amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to bless you guys. And and then I'm going to do one more thing and then we're going to wrap this thing up if that's okay. So, um. If there's somebody that can play a guitar or keys or something just to to give us something. Uh, And I'll explain the importance of that tonight if you come back. Um, Did I say I was going to be back tonight? Like six times, Jonathan. Stop it. Um, I'm going to bless you guys. Lord, for the people that put their hands up and those that wished they would have put their hands up and didn't, we go back in time and we say we bless your ears to hear I bless your eyes to see I bless your minds to know I bless your senses to discern good and evil now I bless your imagination to be used for divine purposes And not demonic purposes I take away suspicion And I say yes to discernment I say yes to words that bring life and not bring death I bless each person here, God, with night visions, dreams, and even waking dreams in the day. God, I bless the people here. I feel the anointing. Oh, I bless the people here to be able to go and see what is not known by this world to bring healing to the world. God, I pray for articulate mouths and minds to say exactly what they're sensing so that they would never feel insecure in what they get from you, God, that they would have full confidence to communicate the deep mysteries of the Father to a broken world. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask, because you are good and you desire this more for your children than even I do, that you would begin to give people in the room a physical witness. They would begin to sense that something is changing in them now, that a part of their spirit man is coming to life like never before and beginning to pour out of them like never before, because we need one another. Now, God, I pray for broken hearts in the room that have had a hard time connecting with other people in the church. I break any dissension and any discord because the fact that you're sitting in this room means that you are needed by the people in this room. So, God, I speak union in Christ to every person within the sound of my voice. The divine union that you died for the divine union that you prayed for in the garden, that we would become one, not just one, but one with you, God, that would, it wouldn't be just a thing we believe anymore, but it would be evidenced by the way that we behave and live our lives. That we wouldn't need to call ourselves Christians because the world will do it for us by the evidence in our life. Holy Spirit, I pray for even more pictures now. Even turn up the prophetic gift. From the hunger in the room, God, fill the hungry. Fill the hungry. Those that are desperate to know your voice like never before, fill, fill, like water being poured into your soul, fill them, God, in Jesus' name. Now, for every person here I just want you to put your hand on the shoulder of your neighbor. And I want you to begin with your words and your desires for them to bless them. Don't leave one person behind. So this is how this is going to work. People are going to be praying for you, but you're not supposed to just give an ear to what they're saying. Let them bless you and let their faith do its work. So that means then you pray for the person next to you. Don't make it about just you receiving. Like the the most amazing miracles happen when we lose sight of ourselves and we look at our neighbor and we say, I want you to succeed. If you have a hard time praying, I just want you to say this with me Lord Jesus, I bless my brother and sister, I bless them with encounters, I bless them with love. I bless them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. As you're you're praying that, someone is praying that for you. And this is what family looks like. It's to prefer someone else over yourself. And as you give out, you receive. Now just rest in that love for just a second. I bless your people, God, with your fire. Clean up their lips, God. I bless them with your fire. Clean up their minds, God, from fallen identities and lies, God. I bless them with your fire. God, by faith, I break every chain of of sexual immorality. I break every chain of pornography, God. I break every chain of temptation. I break every rebellious thought. I break every rebellious action, and I command every demon that has been courted by the people in this room to go now in Jesus' name. God, by faith, I loose people in the room from their burdens. I break every curse that has been written or performed against the people in this room, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Every negative word that's been spoken against the people of this house or the house itself, I break it now in Jesus' name. I break every assignment of the enemy that has been performed against the people in this house now in Jesus' name. By faith, I release the bondage, the baggage, the burdens that have been placed on these people that are not theirs to carry. We let them go now in Jesus' name. Now, remember, I said I'm a believer in the testimony. Everybody looking at me. If something changed, I'm not going to call you out. It's going to be your responsibility to give your testimonies to your brothers and sisters. It's not mine. But if God just did something in you, I just want you to stand to your feet. Don't say a word. Just stand up. If God just did something for you, stand up. Woo! If God is doing something for you, stand up. He'll still do it when you're standing, I promise. Now start to look around at your family and see what God is doing in the room. (laughs) It's always good news. So let's lift up our hands and thank Jesus. We thank you, King (laughs) <laughs> we thank you, King Jesus. Thank you that you're healing minds. I thank you that you're healing bodies. I thank you, Jesus. We as a family, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. It is by your doing. We are here, here God, by your will alone. We exist because of the will of another, God. We are here because you have chosen it from the foundation of the earth to put us here in this moment, God, and we receive your will for our lives. We thank you, God. If you're thankful, God has touched you. Say amen. Thank you, guys.
0: Good Thank y'all you for your patience this morning. Uh, just real quick, if they if they want to make a check to you guys, how do you want that made out? Okay, if you make a check out, you can make it out to the Lion Company. If you want to give cash, we have the envelopes back there. Just put their name on it, or the Lion Company, or Jonathan and Gina, so we know how to get that to them. Um, one one point of clarity, I want to two things. I want to say one, if 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 you in in the quiet of, of, you know, asking about the adultery type issue. If, if it was a past issue, then I don't want to know about it. But if it's a present or possible future issue, know that you can come to us in this house. Um, and we would love to walk with you and help you through that. So there's no shame here either. And Teal and I, uh, very confidential people. We're not going to spread your stuff. So you do have an invitation here in, in this house to, to we will walk with you through that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to clarify, only because I know that that um, one thing that, there's a big difference between accountability and the despise. And so, you know, when he gave the word that no, no one's despised your youth, what he's not saying is that doesn't give you a license to be able to reject any kind of accountability in your life. Okay, because I know some people were like, oh, well, he said you're just despising my youth. And now, despise is a very strong word. You know, um, only rebels um, despise accountability. <laughs> so understand that this house here is to foster and, and to build your gift and encourage you in the Lord and to bring forth that uh, that Ephesians and which is Christ in us, formed in us. Um, so thank you guys so much for your patience. Happy Father's Day again. Um, We love you guys. We hope you're blessed. Tonight, we're doing our normal discipleship class. We're not having a service. There's not going to be worship or anything like that. We're just doing our normal discipleship class. Jonathan is going to be with us. And you're welcome to come. and then, you know, he's basically going to just, you know, hopefully Q&A this out to where we can, um, you know, if you want to know how to give your gift better and, and to flow and what you're your called to do, that maybe he can help facilitate that. So you're welcome to come at five o'clock. We usually get done seven, seven thirty-ish. Uh, like I say, it's not a formal service. It's very laid back. It's what we normally do every Sunday night. And You're welcome to come. Thank you so much.